Well, this morning, I want you to do two things. We're going to kind of go old school. Uh, I want you to get your Bible out. I want you to, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look this morning at Acts 2, 42 through 47, which is going to be the end of the chapter. But just stick your finger in your Bible because we're, we're not going to go there yet. We're going to read the Bible in a little bit, so stick your finger there. But I want you to get your hymnal out. You're going to be needing two things with you this morning. You're going to be needing your Bible. You're going to be needing your hymnal. So I want you to turn your hymnal to page 880. We're going to get there in just one second. So you need your Bible to turn to Acts chapter 2, and you need your hymnal to turn to page 880 in your hymnal. I don't know how many of you know or have heard of uh, a guy by the name of Rick Warren. Rick Warren's the pastor of Saddleback Community Church uh, in Orange County, California. Uh, you, you've probably you've been influenced by Rick Warren, whether you know it or not. He wrote a couple books which were very influential and were very uh, well-read and well-known. The first was uh, The Purpose Driven Church which is a book that I'm sure you've heard of, or maybe, or, but you've definitely probably heard of The, the Purpose Driven Life. Uh, Rick Warren wrote that book a few years back, and probably one of the biggest-selling uh, Christian books in the last, last 50 years, I'd say, pretty easily. Uh, Rick Warren's a great pastor, a great leader. Uh, his teaching, his preaching has been very, very influential on a lot of preachers. Uh, the Purpose Driven Life, the Purpose Driven Church have really influenced a lot of churches uh, throughout the years. I just really admire uh, Rick Warren. Um, I read an interesting quote by Rick Warren, though, right, in the, right kind of in the middle of, uh, well, I say in the middle of COVID because we don't know when COVID will ever end, so I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if we can pick a middle, but uh, Rick Warren said um, that churches whose only purpose for existence is Sunday morning worship probably won't make it through COVID. They probably won't make it. I've said in our state church, we've had a lot of churches that went virtual that probably would never meet again in person again because they were struggling as it was. And, uh, you know, he said churches whose only purpose for existing is Sunday morning will struggle to find a purpose if they can't gather together in person on Sunday morning. He said, but churches that exist for the wider community and for the wider world will find new creative ways uh, to live out the gospel in difficult days. And I think that's, been, I think that's true. And I think that's been, uh, been, frankly, I think one of the things that's been an affirmation and a blessing for our church in this season, because even, even in, the, in, the, in that short season where we had to meet only virtually and weren't able to gather together, our church still continued to find new ways to connect to people through social media, but also through creative ways. Our Wednesday Night Live drive-in last year was great. Uh, we, we were finding ways to serve in the teeth of COVID last year. We fed the teachers at, 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 at Ann Smith and Ridgeland. We were, we, were, we were finding ways. Yesterday we did Rise Against Hunger. We were socially distanced, and it was different, but we did it. You know, our church has found ways to connect to people and to be the church even in trying times. And that's what we're talking about today is the church. And as Kate did a great job of talking about in our children's moment, the church, we often think of the church as a physical building, which it is. And we're going to talk in a minute about the importance of that physical building and talk in a minute about the importance of worship. But that is not the totality of what the church is. The church 
is not simply one, the church does not exist simply for one hour a week on Sunday mornings. Because if the extent of the church is one hour on Sunday morning, well, y'all, we got a lot of other hours that we can occupy our time with throughout the week, don't we? But that simply is not what the church is. The church is greater than just simply this gathering together on Sunday morning. Now, we're going to talk about the importance of this gathering. I'm not minimizing it, but I'm saying that we mistake ourselves if we think that that's all the church is. You know, we're in the, the middle of this series we're calling St. Matthew's 101. We're talking about our doctrine, what we believe, and our values, how we live our beliefs out. Doctrine is what we believe. Values are how we live the, that doctrine out. Today, we're actually going to talk about what that looks like for the church. What does it mean to speak of the church? What is the church actually about? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What are we here for? So that's why we're going to talk about the creed in a second. We're going to talk about the scripture in a second. So I said, I want you to turn in your hymnal to page 880. I want you to look at the Nicene Creed. Um, is that good, Alan? That, did I say it right? Okay. Uh, Alan says, my bugger chitter comes out when I call it the Nicene. <laughs> the, we're going to look at the Nicene Creed on page 880. But here's what I want you to see. I don't know, if, I, don't know, I, know I know all of you, weekly, when the sermon gets boring, you take your hymnal out and you look through the hymnal. That's what I used to do growing up. I'd always look through the hymnal when I got bored in church. So, but if you ever looked at our hymnal, our hymnal has an interesting uh, structure in the back. You see on page 880... 881 and 882, creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the traditional and ecumenical version. But then if you flip on the next page, you're going to see on 883, what we did this morning, a statement of faith of the United Church of Canada, a statement of faith of the Korean Methodist Church, a modern affirmation, the World Methodist Social Affirmation, and then scriptural affirmations. There's a difference between a creed, Nicene, Apostles, and an affirmation of faith. A creed is a universal statement that all Christians hold together. The Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, put out our statements of doctrine and belief that every Christian believes. Even, even churches that would not call themselves creedal churches. For instance, like our Baptist brothers and sisters. In the Baptist church, they typically do not recite and affirm written creeds in worship. But if you were to ask any of your Baptist friends, do they believe the doctrine put forth in the Nicene Creed? Well, of course they do. It's basic Christian doctrine. So every Christian is going to hold this is orthodox or correct belief, the Nicene Creed, the, uh, the, the Apostles' Creed, these lay out the historic, traditional teachings of the church. And every Christian believes in that. Okay, now your affirmations of faith are more specific. So notice, it's an affirmation of faith of the United Church of Canada. It's an affirmation of faith of the Korean Methodist Church. It's a modern affirmation. Affirmations and statements of faith are tied to denominations or local churches. They're not bad, but they're just not universal in the same way that your creeds are universal. Creeds are universal statements accepted by every Christian. Affirmations of faith tend to be more localized or more tied to denominations or theological movements. So we have both in our hymnal. Creeds, Nicene, Apostles, but also affirmations of faith. These are good, these are good things, but these three right here, 
or these two rather there, apostles and the Nicene are universal in acceptance. So let's look at the, the Nicene Creed, for instance. You see, it's a threefold movement. First statement, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty. The first section of the Nicene Creed affirms the belief in God the Father. And you see how the first statement's there, and then the rest of the statements are indented. Basically, these are going back to the Father. Look at the second section. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. That section's about Jesus. The one line there, everything else indented, reflects upon Jesus. Then, look at the third section. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Then everything that comes with that reflects back upon the Spirit. So the very organization of the creed is a Trinitarian organization. Father, Son, Spirit. And then you see what flows from each person. The Father, as we believe about the Father. The Son, as we believe about the Son. The Spirit, as we believe about the Spirit. So then... Look what happens under the Spirit about halfway through. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church flows from the Spirit. The Spirit gives the church life. It is the Spirit that gave the church life at Pentecost Sunday. It's the Spirit that unites us together now. The Spirit points us to Jesus and binds us together. The Spirit is what enables us to be here in, in this place now. So, we see here in our doctrine, we believe, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That, those are called the four marks of the church. So if we're going to talk about what the church is, what we believe about the church, those are the four things that we need to know that define the church. One holy Catholic apostolic. What does that mean? One means this. One means that the church is united. The Bible says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We are united, but we are united under the Lordship of Jesus. Our unity does not, to be united doesn't mean that we always agree with each other. We can have disagreements with each other, but our unity, our oneness does not come from shared opinion. Our unity comes from shared lordship. Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. Our unity comes from him. Our unity comes from all of us, from all of us, submitting our lives, submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord. This is not unity of shared opinion. This is unity of shared lordship. We are one under Jesus Christ. The church is his body. Not my body, not your body, his body. Our unity always comes from Christ. Not, not from shared opinion. Not from shared preference. From shared lordship. But what happens sometimes, by the way, we, we, I think we take too lightly the call to Christian unity. If you read the Gospels, John 17, Jesus spends an entire chapter praying for the church and praying, he says, I pray that they may be one as we are one, talking to the Father. Jesus Christ desires that the church be unified in the same way that he is unified with the Father. That's a big deal, y'all. And we take too casually 
Jesus' desire for us as the church and as Christians to be unified. I think we take it, Francis Chan, one of the, one of the kind of modern Christian writers who wrote Crazy Love and some other books, um, he has just written a book on Christian unity. And his thing is that he, we do not always take seriously as Christians and as churches the call of God for us to be unified. Now, unified in truth, obviously. We need to get that, we need, we need to get that straight. Unified in truth, uh, for, uh, unified in, in, in the marks of the church, starting with our doctrine of who Christ is. But we need to be very careful that we do not, I think where our struggles and our splits come along is we, when we mistake preference, for Christ's lordship. When we mistake preference, my preference, for Christ's lordship. Our unity will never come in us sharing the same preference. Our unity will never come, frankly, from us sharing the same opinion. That's not where unity comes from. Unity comes from us submitting ourselves to Christ as Lord. John Wesley said, if your heart has been warmed as my heart has, then give me your hand. Our unity is not going to be shared, found in shared preference for worship styles. Our unity is not going to be found in shared favorite hymns. Our unity is not going to be found in favorite preachers or favorite preaching styles. Our unity comes in our shared lordship of Jesus grounded in his truth. So I need to be very careful, careful when I seek to do things that don't, that don't build unity in Christ. He calls us to be unified, to be one. The church is one. We are one because of the lordship of Jesus. When Jesus Christ is our Lord, that's where our unity comes from. The church is one. The church is holy. I mean, the church is set apart. The church is different. We are different from the world. We are different from the culture because we're grounded in truth revealed in Jesus Christ. So we're going to be different from the world. And so to be different from the world, to be holy, does not mean so much. I mean, I could leave here and go to Walmart wearing my robe right now, and I would look quite different, wouldn't I? Folks, that may look at me kind of funny. To be holy is not to mean that we necessarily dress different or whatever, but what it means is that our worldview, our life, our actions, our very being are going to be different than the world we live in because we have a different grounding. We have a different Lord. When Christ is Lord, to be holy means to live out the teachings of Christ. To be holy is to live out the word of Christ. To be holy is to live out the, the dream of Christ. To be holy is to live out the path of Christ. So we are one in that Christ is Lord. We are holy in that we are seeking to live out the gospel as Christ has taught us. We are to be different from the world, different from the culture, different from where we find ourselves. Uh, Kate was talking about how sometimes being in the church means that we're nice to check out a girl. At Walmart, I've sometimes said, sometimes the most Christian thing we can do is be nice to the person in front of us in line. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to always get it right. I desire to be holy, but I'm really not holy when folks cut me off in traffic. Okay? We aspire to it. To the spirit, we live it out. But to be holy is to be different, to operate on a different wavelength, a different call, a different desire, a different dream than the world. We are one, Christ is Lord of us all. We are holy in that we are to be different from the world. The church is to be different. We are not to be the culture. We're to be different. We're to be, the word's countercultural. We're supposed to be different from the world we find ourselves in. 
Catholic. Now, this is one that trips us off sometimes, trips us up sometimes. Because we today, 21st century America, we hear Catholic. That's why I noticed in the creed, it's got the little, the little uh, asterisk there that says universal. We hear Catholic and we think Roman Catholic. We hear Catholic and we think denomination. When the creed was written, this creed was written in 380 um, AD. Till around 1500, there weren't denominations. Catholic was not a denomination. Catholic was a description. It was, ca- Catholic, until the Protestant Reformation, was not a noun. Catholic was an adjective. It described the church, that the church was Catholic. It was universal. That's what the word Catholic means, is universal. The church was made up of people of all nations and all races. They were all part of one church. We are part of a church that is Catholic, that is made up of Americans and Africans and Latin Americans and Chinese. The, the, fast, the, the nation that will soon have the most number of Christians in the world in the next 20 years is going to be China. That's what the church is. The church is exploding in what's called the global south, y'all. China, Latin America, Africa. That's where the church is growing. The church is struggling in the West, America, Europe. That is blossoming in the global south. The church is Catholic, meaning that those are fully our brothers and sisters in Christ. All who confess the name of Christ are our family. All who are under the lordship of Jesus Christ are our family. Our family, our church is bigger than St. Matthew's. Yes, St. Matthew's is our church home and our church family, our local congregation. But we, our, the church is bigger than just us. It's made up of Methodists and Catholics and Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Episcopals and Anglicans and Lutherans and all who profess the name of Jesus Christ are our church family. The church is universal, open to all who believe in Jesus. It's bigger than just me and you. It's Catholic. It's universal. One, Lordship of Christ. Holy, different. Catholic, universal, open to all. And apostolic. We as Protestants hold apostolic to mean that our church is founded upon the teachings of the apostles. That we are held together. Remember I said we're one under the Lordship of Christ. We're one under the teachings of the apostles. If you you go back and look in the Gospels, Jesus quickly organizes the disciples into the apostles for the organizing of the church. The apostles organized the church and structured the church and taught the church. We're going to see that in just one second. But to be apostolic means that we are founded upon the teachings of the apostles, which is best represented to us in these creeds. These creeds, we are apostolic in nature in that if I was to teach y'all a doctrine contrary to this creed, then I'm wrong. (laughs) If your preacher teaches a doctrine contrary to the creed, the preacher's wrong. We're not founded upon the personality or the theology of the individual preacher or the individual church, but we're founded upon Scripture, and we're founded upon these teachings revealed to us through the teachings of the church. This, this doctrine, which was established early on, the teachings of the apostles, is one of the marks of the church. We are in the midst of a stream that goes back thousands of years. We're not the first, y'all. We're not the first folks to figure this out, and we're surely not the first folks to ever give it, get it right. 
Thomas Oden was a great Methodist theologian. And he, he said he wanted on his tombstone this phrase, he came up with nothing original. I kind of like that. But I don't want to come up with some original doctrine. I want to teach the truth that's been handed to me by the apostles, which is best understood in this Nicene Creed. So that's what the church is. The church is one holy Catholic and apostolic, one under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Holy, different, Catholic, universal, apostolic, founded upon the correct doctrine, the correct teachings of the church. That's our doctrine, okay? We're talking about doctrine and values. So let's look at what that looks like. Let's, look, let's see what that looks like when we live it out. And that's where Acts is going to come into play. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There you go. Apostolic teaching. And fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who, believe, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute it to all as any had need. Day after day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill of all the people. And day after day, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. So if our doctrine is one, holy, Catholic, apostolic, we see here in Acts 2 our values. How, how's that lived out? Well, first, the Bible says daily were added to their numbers. In other words, the church always cares for the folks beyond these walls. Now, listen, in this day, they didn't have walls of the church because there were no church buildings. You know, the church, we didn't start building churches till around three. Constantine became a Christian in 313. So it wasn't until after Constantine became a Christian that Christians stopped being killed. So it wasn't until after the 330s. You won't see any old churches in Europe earlier than 330, really, because that's when it became safe to be a Christian. It's safe to come out of the catacombs and out of the graves. So but this early church, they looked beyond themselves. They looked beyond their community. They looked beyond the folks they knew, and they were looking outside, outside their, for what we would say, outside of our walls. They were looking outside their community to the folks who weren't Christian, to the folks who weren't there. It says daily being added to their numbers. We have a call to live out our doctrine, and one of those values is going to be evangelism, to go to those outside the walls, the, those that are outside these walls, and invite them to be part of our community. I've heard it put like this, a couple phrases. One is that the Christian church is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet members. We're the only organization that exists for those that are not yet members. I've heard it also put, the Christian church is always one generation away from extinction. Because if people are not converted, and if people are not saved, then the Christian church will no longer exist. We need converts. We grow through evangelism, through inviting people, through welcoming people. One of my favorite stats you've heard said is that the average Methodist invites one person to church every 38 years. We've got to invite folks, y'all. We've got to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So we are focused on those outside of our community. But we also see here, we're focused on folks inside of our community. Because we see here, it says they took care of each other. They took care of each other's needs. We 
Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, often would say, oh, those Christians, oh, how they love one another. We need to love each other and take care of each other and care for each other and be there for each other and, and provide for each other and be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. In fact, this is your homework. Your homework is to pray about this and look around and see who, who do you miss? Who haven't you seen in church recently or, or talked to about church recently? Who is, that, who is that name the Lord has laid upon your heart that you haven't seen in a while? And your homework this week is to contact them. Text them, email them, call them, write them, whatever. I don't care how you do it. But that's your homework is to reach out to them. Because here's the deal, y'all. If I do it, well, that's what y'all pay me for, right? That's what everybody thinks. But when you do it, you show that the community misses you when you're not there. Because if we're going to stress that community matters, it's got to matter when you're not there, y'all. If we're going to say community matters, our community is lessened when people aren't here. So the church lives out our doctrine by looking outside the walls, by looking inside the walls and loving on each other. But then we see the other thing here is they worshiped. So yes, the church is not a building. The church is the people. The church is the body. But what we do here on Sunday morning, it matters. Worship matters. Worship is central to the identity of what the church is. We are a worshiping community. I've heard it said the church exists where the word of God is proclaimed and the sacraments are duly administered. Go read the book of Leviticus. Half of Leviticus is about worship. We see here in the earliest days of the church, they worshiped. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. We aren't just a service organization. We are a worshiping community. And the church is made to worship. I've heard somebody say, preacher, if you don't go to worship on Sundays, can you go to heaven? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, you shall be saved. So, yeah, I guess so. But if there's nothing in you, if there's nothing in you that wants to gather together with fellow believers to worship God, man, you're going to hate heaven. I mean, if you don't want to worship God with other people, heaven's going to be terrible for you. You're just going to hate it. Worship matters. What we do here on Sunday as a body matters. It's part of our biblical command, part of our biblical calling. I love the church, y'all. I'm no more or less involved in the church as a preacher than I would be if I was a lay person. I genuinely love the church. It's my family. It's God's gift to us. It's God's gift to the world. And our point is to tell others about Jesus, to take care of each other, and to worship fully our Lord. May we know who we are as the church.